Hi there, and welcome to a special interview episode on Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamini. On today's episode, I speak with writer and performer Tracy Thorne, who is currently entering her final week in the virtual presentation of her new play, Jack Was Kind. In conjunction with All for One Theater, the production is being presented live on Zoom four times a week, Wednesday through Saturday, but running just through October 10th. Also, audiences are limited, so make sure you get your tickets. As Ashley and I talked about on Monday's episode of Today on Broadway, she saw it earlier in the run and raved about it. She did say that it's it's a little difficult to get through at times, but both the writing and Tracy's performance are fantastic. While the plot description is kept purposely vague for some spoilery type reasons, I do want to read you how the show is described in press materials. Thorne's intimate, confessional play examines long-seated issues of privilege and complicity at the core of America, as well as our current explosive political moment. Jack Was Kind gives an imagined and painfully human backstory to an actual American event that will affect the country for an entire generation, at least. Each performance is 70 minutes, and it's actually followed by a discussion with Thorne and a special guest who is there specifically to bring a spotlight on issues of complicity in American power structures. I had an absolutely fantastic time talking with Tracy, and I learned a lot, and I love hearing about the creative process that brought this show to a much different realization than she'd originally intended when she started writing. We will have details on how you can get tickets to see Jack Was Kind from your own home just through October 10th in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com. All right, with all of that out of the way, without further ado, here's my conversation with Tracy Thorne. I appreciate you doing this today, though. Oh, no, what a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. How are you? I'm doing great. And how are you? Well, it's a very weird day to be yes. an American, isn't it? Uh, I I feel like that's probably been an appropriate thing to say for the past uh, four years or at least yeah. six or seven months. But yes, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, I, I don't even. Uh, well, we probably shouldn't, but we'd like to, <laughs> wouldn't we? Oh, I feel like we would. Yes, yes, we would. But <laughs> but well, you're right. We should get it on uh, on topic. And uh, we want to discuss your play. Jack was kind, which really kind of reading about it. It, it seems like the creation uh, of this show was even though this was uh you know you wrote this uh, a year or, or so ago it really feels like it was done perfectly for this moment not only is it a one person show but it was also something that you started doing in people's living rooms in really intimate ways at the very start it's true it's true you know i uh, I, I always expected other characters to show up. I've never done a solo piece at all and certainly had no intention of performing it myself. And um, uh, so I just was writing and I kept waiting for Jack to show up. And uh, it was a 80 minute thing. It's now a 70 minute thing and Jack never showed up, but it was over, <laughs> which I was like, oh dear, what do I do about that? Um and I looked at it on the page and it looked like prose. And I thought a literary intern or whomever is going to open that and go, I ain't reading that. Half the pleasure, <laughs> right, is all yeah. the white on the page. Yeah. <laughs> so I said to the agent, uh, uh, I'd like to read it to the literary people. And he went, you can't. And I went, come on, really? So 
uh, I started making phone calls and um, I, instead of sending it around, I just read it for people, which gave it a kind of attraction. And uh, Jamie Floyd got interested in it because I'd read it at WNYC. And so she yeah. joined us and um, various other creative people wanted to get on the ride. And then the shutdown happened and I thought, oh, okay, that's it done. It won't ever happen. Cause I always wanted to have it come go on at this time of year during the election. Right. And then Nick Coates, who's the executive director of AFO was one of the people for whom I had done it. I had done it for uh, somebody who supports his theater. And she said, you've got to meet Nick Coates. So she made that match. And he called me up and said, um, would you do it as a fundraiser for the theater? Cause it, is intact. You know, it doesn't require 19 right. sets and 40 costume changes. Have you seen it? Not yet. No, I'm hoping to this week. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Anyway. Uh, and so I said, of course I'll do that. And you know, this is the short version. And then it kept selling out and they thought, Oh, well, we need a yeah. show for our fall season and people want to watch this one. So how about we do this? And I was like, uh, as awful as this time has been for all of us, it's been really good for Jack was kind because I don't know if it would have gotten on what with people choosing seasons miles in advance and all of that, if it weren't suited to this moment, which, and we rewrote it so that it was um, meant to be viewed on a screen. It's, it's a play, but it's yeah. meant to be watched on a screen. Well, and it's so interesting that I didn't realize that while doing it for people individually and in living rooms and all this stuff, that wasn't necessarily the end goal. That was a step in the process of you hoping to get it to a more traditional uh, theatrical run, how, whatever that might be. And it kind of found its own life, one, because of the pandemic situation, but also just out of the need to kind of do it for yourself. I think that's a, a really interesting tidbit in the development of this show that it, one, had an unusual process, you know, and an unusual trajectory because of 2020, but also because of how you kind of felt the need to get it out into the world. Oh, you know, I haven't even thought about that part of it. And you're, you're so right. You know, I thought, how can I get people to listen to the story? Because the story, yes, what with the passing of Justice Ginsburg, and what with the wild madness of this election cycle, it has resonance in that context. But it also, for me, was the way for me to, sorry to use this word, process the last four years of many of our lives. Yeah. So, um, uh, and I hadn't thought it's, it is, you know, what is that? Who says that? Hamlet or Rilke or somebody? Timing is everything. Yeah. And um, I, I always sometimes think I don't get enough uh, serendipity in my life. It feels like that's all going over there to him, yeah. whoever he is. But in fact, there has been timing has been everything for this for Jack was kind. You're so right. But I just you know, I just knew because it's a woman who's telling you a story about herself. Right. And you know how it is. It, like I remember being on a bus with somebody who we were on this horrifying bus journey stuck in the new in the Lincoln tunnel. Need I say more? Yeah. And she spent 97 minutes telling me about somebody I'd never met. Yeah. And it was the most perfect thing to do stuck in the Lincoln tunnel because I, I was hanging on her every word about this person because really she was in telling me facts about this person. She was telling me about herself. 
And it was a really fantastic way to learn about her. She was somebody I liked a lot, but didn't know that well. So in talking about this other person who meant everything to her, I learned about her and I thought I would like to try and recreate the affect of that bus journey. And um, so at least for the beginning of a play, but then it ended up being a 70 minute play. <laughs> yeah. And that's all it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it's so interesting because I, I know that there are you know, some spoilery type things that we don't necessarily want to get into, but in just in the description and a lot of the ways that you've described it, both in the timing and, the, you know, some of the content, it is a, a show that resonates on both the political and the personal talking about, you know, privilege and complicity. And these are all things that, like you said, with the timing that have all been a major part of the discussion that we've been having over the past four years, but also especially during these past six seven months for various reasons, some related to the pandemic and some not. But it, it does feel like as this show has developed leading up to the pandemic, it does feel like at least the content of it itself is very much suited to the audience that is going to be watching it from their computers, you know, in fall 2020. Well, you know, here's the thing. I wish I were an anthropologist. I wish I were a sociologist. <laughs> I wish I were a fine legal mind, but I'm just a playwright. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like if I have a, if I have a, a, a beat, it's, it's um, emotion, as in I can turn emotion into story. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about all the tenacity of what has us in its grip, the tenacity of the race problem for which doesn't even begin to cover it sure. in the, this country for 400 years, the tenacity of the um, of income inequality, the tenacity of how we are living when with healthcare not available to so many people. And I thought, why is it so tenacious? Because millions of good people are applying themselves. Millions of people marched in the streets this summer. Why is it so tenacious? And I thought, you know, because it's personal. It's not just, they aren't just systems that have been imposed on us by the government or by norms or tradition. These, these systems are personal. And so what I set out to do with this was to explore the emotional architecture of these systems that have us in their grip, uh, and so this is a, a this is a a personal story about a woman who has been in the public eye and who is married to somebody who is important in America. Uh, all made up, of course. All made up. Uh, <laughs> of course. Did I say that? All made up. Of course. Yeah, good disclaimer. <laughs> it's like uh, the thing they put on the ends uh, or at the beginning or the end of Law and Order episodes. Any similarity to, to characters real or imagined is completely coincidental. Print that, Dano. <laughs> That's it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I used my knowledge of human beings. I used my knowledge of women like like this character whose name I won't tell you now. Um, and I, uh, I wanted to explore the emotional architecture of what has its boot on my neck and perhaps your neck and my children's neck and my friend's neck and my neighborhood Harlem's neck. You know, what's the emotional piece? Jamie Floyd says a wonderful thing. She talks about what interested her about this play was that it explored um, 
brick by brick, how these systems are built within families. And yeah. I felt that I was well suited to at least explore that. Yeah. And let's for people who might not be uh, in the New York City area, Jamie Floyd is the host of All Things Considered. And um, she has come on as the uh, as kind of like a, a special consulting producer for this show. But also uh, part of these live stream performances are that afterwards you are going to do a discussion with a special guest that Jamie is helping to to coordinate. What has that aspect of these presentations added to the entire experience of seeing the show? I think it's added a couple of things. Um, uh, first of all, since it's such a personal story about this woman and her life and her children and her husband, it um, gives us an opportunity to open it up uh, I think it does it itself. I does it does it on its own. But we decided that uh, since it was only seventy minutes, and and it could have been longer. It was a lot longer, but that seemed the sweet spot, right? We thought sure. that giving us an opportunity in this time in this culture when so many of us want to talk about what's happening, we thought let's let's add that to the experience. Let's take this micro. Um, story and apply it to the macro situation that many of us are dealing with. So mm. we thought of that. We also thought race is not, uh, it, it, I'm a white woman and the play does not need to be performed by a white person, I don't believe. But in my white body, it sends a, it's, it sends a message about the kind of privilege this woman has. And so we thought, because in our minds, that isn't the focus. It isn't her being white that is the focus. It's how she was raised that is the focus. We thought it would be interesting to get perspectives from people who are not white and people who come from different cultures to talk about how the underpinning emotional architecture might be revealed in their lives or in their work or their experience. So that's where the conversations come from, because it is such a personal story. We really wanted to bust it open right afterwards. And they have been crashing successes. A friend of mine was our first guest, actually, and she's a Nigerian-American. And she said such a hilarious thing because my gal, you know, wears a little white Peter Pan collar yeah. and, <laughs> you know, does her hair like my ma did back in the day, you know. And my friend Mfuniso said, change some of the pronouns, change some of the proper names, change some of the place names. I know a lot of Nigerian women just like this. And that was so fantastic when she said that, because I thought <laughs> the human nature here I had hoped was pretty accurate. And um, so I want, we wanted to open that up uh, right after the play. And I think we have been successful. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. That this story that, like you said, it, even though it's not necessarily about any quote unquote real people that it in its specificity, it, it kind of has some of that um, connection to people that are far different than the character itself. And I think that's not only the, the sign of a good, well-written story, but also of the truths that are happening in our world today that while a lot of the discussions that we have might be centered on 
individual people who have been the the victims of you know police brutality or whatever their situations echo with far many far many more people than just the individuals that are in the news and i think that's a, a kind of a beautiful way to to kind of contextualize this story in the moment that we're living in um I do wonder, you've said a couple times that the show was longer, and even when you started to write the show, that you assumed that the character of Jack, who's in the title of the show, would show up, and he just never did. Did you have <laughs> did you have a, a different idea as to the plot of the show? Like, did, Was there other stuff that, you, as you kept writing, you thought that, okay, where I thought I was going was unnecessary, or was it folded in? I'm, I just wonder, from a playwriting standpoint, as you do you start down with an outline and then just scrap it? Or did you fold it into the one person storytelling? How did that happen? Well, you know, um, uh, my friend Neil Bell, who's a brilliant playwright, and his partner, Tom Babe, another brilliant playwright, I forget which one of them said it, but um, they, 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 I took playwriting with Neil Bell. That was how I started. Um, And he said, you know, one of us, I've always said, or Tom always said, you don't write what you know, you write to find out what you know. And that has just always, that has been my organic experience. So I, maybe I'm supposed to write with an outline, but I tend not to, <laughs> I, because I don't know what I know yet. So I think um, I, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I start with something, um, I start with something, it's not the same thing all the time. Let's see, how do I put it? The last play I wrote was a family play. And I wanted, I had this idea of a friend of mine was with with her family. That's a terrible sound, sorry. That's all right. Um, while her ma was dying. And during this time, she and her five siblings were um, in their their childhood living room with their ma in a hospital bed. And the texts that she sent me during this time were hilarious. I mean, you would think this is a terrible experience. They were hilarious. And so that play, I thought, can I write a play that happens in real time with siblings in a, in a, in a surrounding a hospital bed? And I thought, how do I do that? And how do I keep them in the room? And how do I make it funny? And so I, I discovered how to do that. I read a story by Henry James called The Aspern Papers. This is another play. And I thought I'd never adapted anything. And I'd read a novel by Zadie Smith where she adapted, she kind of did a, an homage novel to a Neam Forster novel. And I thought, what can I do with The Aspern Papers? And I, uh, The Aspern Papers were in the Henry James story. It's like, um, Shelley's poetry has been hoarded by one of Percy Bysshe Shelley's old lovers in Venice. Mm. It's fantastic. It's all Miss Havisham. And oh, it's the most fabulous story. And I thought, and so back in the day, that was a treasure trove of culture, right? There's nothing better than unknown poems by, by Shelley. And so I thought, what would be so, what would be as valuable? What would be as wildly sought after in our time? And I thought if there were speeches by somebody like Martin Luther King that had never been given, if, there, if somebody had a trove of speeches by a great orator, and I used him as an example, though I don't use his name. So then I go ahead. I, so that's how I start my plays. 
I get these ideas in my head and then I find out what I know about them. And I've always, I've never written one that I couldn't finish. Uh, it's always been a tried and true way for me to get to the end because in a way I'm engaged in the discovery. I'm not engaged so much in the execution of the outline, which works for me. It, yeah. it, the adventure of figuring out how to do it uh, is good for me. It's like, um, you know, it's like a treasure hunt. Yeah, I love that. I love all of the the nitty gritty logistical nuts and bolts of how these things come together. That's is super fascinating to me to hear your process. I, I do wonder, though, like you said, this is uh, I think you said you've never written a, a one person show before. Um, I imagine you've also never performed a show that was done completely uh, virtually uh, as well as you were kind of preparing for this what has this experience been like to not only perform it yourself which you've done before but to perform it for your, yourself I'm assuming in front of a computer with no audience but there is an audience but not one right there like how has that been for you as a performer as in addition to the writer of the piece itself well, it's hilarious because the director calls me up after every performance. The wonderful director, Nick Coates, calls me up and uh, he says, how was it? And I say, I don't know. I was talking to hardware. Yeah. I mean, you know, and lots of times you've I'm sure you've heard this, you know, actors will go. It was a fabulous show tonight. But that's just because, you know, some lady in the front row was beaming at him. But in fact, yeah, it was yeah. a terrible show. Right. Or it was a terrible show. And then it was the best one you ever do. So uh, it's hardly reliable, but at least you get obviously. I mean, I, when I was writing this thing, I started going to solo shows. I had never been to solo shows, actually. Oh, wow. It had never been my form. So I'm going to solo shows and I'm reading about Jake Gyllenhaal and all these people and Tom Sturridge and blah, blah, blah. And they're all like, well, the audience is your scene partner. And I thought, oh, yeah, really? Good for you. And so, you know what I do? I just kind of um, I, I put my it sounds so actory, but I I put myself in the mood. I kind of imagine where this woman might have been the second before she starts talking. And then I kind of freestyle it. I mean, it, I, I say the same things every night and I certainly don't go wacky and, you know, start singing show tunes or anything, but I don't worry about repeating it. That's, that's, um, I don't worry about hitting the marks so much. So it has nuances as I, I guess all live performance does, but um, it, it, the nuances surprise me even, you know, sometimes I'll be super upset during one part and sometimes I won't be. And I'm fine with that because I thought if I tried to recreate the, the kind of um, the, the frisson of emotion between an audience and a performer, I, I would just, that would just get stale fast. So I kind of freestyle and the woman is alone while she's doing it. She is in fact talking into a camera, recording herself. And so I, uh, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to imagine what she feels like and go. And it's pretty much freestyling for 70 minutes. It's really interesting to hear you describe it like that because it, it, to me, it kind of struck a similar chord to when you're talking about writing it. I mean, obviously, yeah. there, you know, the, you know where you're going, at least in general, with both the writing and the acting. With the acting, you have uh, the script. And in the writing, you know kind of who your characters are in the story you're telling. But the actual doing of it feels much more organic and much more free form than I think a lot of 
outsiders who aren't necessarily artists and creatives would assume. You would think, oh, there's some sort of structure. You want to do this, these these things on a checklist. But it sounds like for you, both as a writer and a performer, it you kind of thrive more in situations where um, they're not as limited to those things. And you have the ability to kind of flex your creative muscles and go with whatever's making you feel something in the moment? Well, you know, to be perfectly honest, I used to be an actor and I, I gave it up because I just liked writing better, <laughs> frankly. Um, it was acting was my straight job. And yeah. then I started to make some money as a writer. I make less money, I'd like to point out, but I started to make some money as a writer and I thought, okay, I can give up my straight job, um, which was acting. But I have to say, when I did plays, I, I'm i a good Catholic girl. So, you know, I'd want to hit my marks, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't enjoy, I, I didn't, I didn't love that part of it, you know, seven, eight times a week, having to recreate it. I loved discovering it. I loved rehearsal. I was always bummed when we moved into the theater. I was like, oh, darn. Now we have to do it again. We don't get to discover it in the same way. But in mm. fact, I've educated myself about performing because that is not true. With this, I discover it differently every night. And um, I don't know that I'll go back to acting uh, in a serious way. But if I ever did get back in a theater to act again, I, it might be different. I think I learned something. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and it's good that uh, at least you have learned something out of this uh, past six, seven months of quarantine, because I feel like not enough of us are learning things uh, during this time period. But I'm glad that you have. Um, well, I, I want to get it back just a little bit more on so people can understand how this is working with this show uh, before we let you go. You are doing it through October 10th. You're doing shows on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and they are all live. This is not, as we kind of talked about, this isn't filmed and you just replay it at nope. those times. You are doing it live every single time. And um, it could all go horribly <laughs> wrong. <laughs> just if anyone likes the bloody version, tune in for that reason. <laughs> yeah. And and here's the thing, just to tell you, I have to turn off all of my alerts. I have to put signs on my door. Do not ring the doorbell. I have to, I, I, have, I have a driveway. I have to put signs in the driveway. Do not drive up. And I have to have a family member in the basement with the dog because the feed could go down or something and I would never know. So yeah. I'd just be sit there talking to myself. So there's a family member always on duty you know, and they fight about it. Oh, I don't want to do it tonight. Taking care of the dog so she doesn't bark during it. It's really homespun. That's awesome. Well, yeah. so so if people tune in to one of the remaining shows through uh, October 10th, we've kind of danced around the the specifics of the plot, which is was done on purpose. But as they come in for an evening, 70 minutes plus the the discussion, what kind of mental environment do they have to create for themselves? What, what kind of uh, attitude and insight do they need to bring to really completely appreciate and and connect with Jack was kind? Well, you know, I it's constructed so that um, it's purposefully constructed so um, that people there is a political element to it. I will confess. And that people on either side, now, since we're divided in this country, I guess there are only two sides. Hmm. It is constructed so that people on either side of its, of its um, areas of concern might recognize themselves and might find some sympathy and or antipathy with the people and the situation. 
And um, I will say that when Justice Ginsburg died, because of the nature of the play, it gave it this other resonance that was almost hard to execute. And the, those audiences that week, the week that she died, I actually found out she died five minutes before we started. Oh my. Because the director thought if it came up during the conversation that that might loop me. Um, and the, the, the meaning of Justice Ginsburg in our, in, in our culture and in our legal system and as an advocate for women is actually um, uh, has added, added something to this. I, I will say that, but I also will say that um, I do not find the character whom I play a villain or a hero. Uh, that's not my, uh, that's not the job I was trying to do. And I am really comfortable with people who meet her and watch her. I am comfortable if they see her either way or as some of both. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's important to me that this isn't a, a lefty thing or, or a righty thing. It's, it's, um, it's the human condition and the wild difficulty of it. I love that. I, I feel like we uh, can take a lot from from that, and and I hope that people are uh, are coming in with that uh, mentality because that should certainly help us get through the next what four plus weeks, and hopefully uh, much longer than that as well. Well. Uh, thank you so much for talking about this. I have loved hearing about this process, and I'm very excited to to see the show. I've, you know, because of some of the warnings, and you, like you said, you don't necessarily talk about who this might be inspired by. I've had my thoughts before we talked, mm -hmm. and now I have some different thoughts now that we have talked. So I'm excited to kind of see if I, if uh, either of those thoughts uh, about where I think this is going uh, turn out to be correct. I will most likely, based on my track record, be completely completely and utterly wrong, but I am uh, looking forward to finding out nonetheless. Well, let me just say this to make it even more confusing. There are, uh, there are multiple uh, incidents in real life that this could have been inspired by. It's, uh, let me just say that Jamie, Jamie Floyd loves to point that out. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to take that. So when I'm inevitably wrong, I'm going to say, well, it could have been, <laughs> and then I'll pretend like I was right the whole time. And uh, tell folks that uh, on Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays, we start at eight. And on Thursdays, we start at three in the afternoon because we've had people from all over the world watching Bali and the Czech Republic and uh, somebody someplace else crazy. So. That's uh, three o'clock on Thursdays. That's great. Well, I'm uh, very happy for the success of this show and very much looking forward to it. And, and who knows, maybe we'll get to see it when theaters actually reopen. Maybe you'll get to do it in real life at, at some places. Well, whether that's you or somebody else doing it, like you said, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be you. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with Jack Was Kind post pandemic as well. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. No problem. Have a great rest of your day and have a great weekend and, and all hey, the shows too. You too. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.